Well, hello there, and welcome back to Seed Stories. I am your host, Zeke Greenside. On this program, we showcase a different seed variety each episode through stories, seed saving techniques, history, and providing unique interviews with seed savers from across the world. We are teaming up with Slow Foods USA on a six-part series focusing on the seed varieties in their Plant the Seed campaign. And the variety we will be focusing on for this episode is... Yellow Cabbage Collard The Yellow Cabbage Collard is a member of the Brassica oleraceae family, the same family as broccoli, kale, or cabbage. We will be conversing with Dr. David Shields, a University of South Carolina English professor, talking about why it's so important to maintain diversity of flavor in our food system. Oh yeah, and also the Yellow Cabbage Collard, of course. Hello? Hey, Zachary, this is David Shields. So yeah, I was reading up a little bit about the uh, yellow cabbage collard and came across a few articles. One about, I think it was Bum Restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) I was referring to an article, North Carolina Town Cooks Up Yellow Cabbage Collards from NPR. But, you know, the yellow cabbage collard is, is interesting in that very few collards develop unique food ways connected with them. The yellow cabbage collard developed a, a pickle, collard pickle that is sort of like, you know, Carolina kimchi. And they use a, a cayenne pepper that they grow in the central part of North Carolina uh, and ferment it. So instead of just having, you know, your pot of greens or, or collard slaw, there's this uh, additional sort of set of uh, dishes that have been generated by the yellow cabbage collard. Mm-hmm. But, we, you know, we should actually start talking about collards in general because uh, you know there are certain misapprehensions about them since they've been so important in soul food and african-american cooking like right. the Gichi, uh, there there has been a kind of presumption that it came from africa but uh, that's not the case it's a european um, vegetable it's a form of the brassica uh, that larger family of uh, turnips and cabbages and mustards. It actually arose from attempts to grow heading cabbages in the south that failed. In the 18th century and 19th century, the uh, farmers uh, imported cabbage seed from England or Germany, and they grew it out, and they collected seed from the cabbages that they grew, but when they planted that seed back into the soil, it wouldn't head and it formed the loose leaf form of uh, that plant. These were called colworts. But a lot of the, a lot of people, you know, just may do, uh, thought that the colworts, the word gets sort of compressed to collards, tasted just fine. And uh, certain strains of collards began to emerge shortly before the Civil War, the Georgia blue collard gets seed traded for it, um, you know, in the 60s. An actual market for collard seed begins to pop up in the 1870s. For the first time, it starts appearing in uh, seed catalogs. Mm -hmm. So these will grow in the north as well, a 45-day growing season, I presume? Well, 45 uh, is... You know, one they consider it's uh, worth cutting at mm-hmm. that juncture, and like a lot of um, brassicas, you cut the whole head off. Yeah. But there are 
interesting collared varieties like the Gullah tree collard, which are perennial collards, are treated as perennials. And the Gullah families of the low country uh, don't cut the entire head off and use the same plant year after year. But uh, the ones that uh, Joe Branner developed, these cabbage collards, they were just chopped off with a machete at the ground level and the whole thing was consumed. Uh, and what happens is that um, the same seed will react differently in different soils. So uh, there's, uh, I guess it's called epigenetics. Besides having the regular genetics of a plant, you have this additional set of chemical triggers that exist mm. in the plant. And uh, when you stick it in different soil conditions than place where it was developed, uh, certain traits are turned off or on so that the same seed will actually produce a markedly different plant in different uh, soil types and, and different climate profiles. So that's how you might have a white cabbage collard grow in the deeper south mm -hmm. while it grows yellow in the north. Wow. Yeah, that's so interesting about the epigenetics. I mean, that just seems to be such a new frontier of our knowledge on the way genes work and whether things are triggered on or off. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting dimension. A lot of people who deal with land race grain and heirloom plants are using you know seed and planting them in markedly different places than where the plant developed brassicas the collards are very responsive to locale and when uh, dr mark farnham of uh, the usda went and started collecting old collard strains in the south in the 1990s to get a bank of land race collards to use for breeding purposes. He found well, over a hundred different varieties of, of, um, of collard with strikingly different configurations and different periods of maturation, different culinary uh, qualities. Mm -hmm. So it looks like in uh, North Carolina, there's kind of a bit of a culture around collard and reading here collard capital of the world even <laughs> and the, the the uh with the collard festival and uh yes, going uh, on for 40 plus years so yes I, aiden uh, north carolina has embraced the yellow cabbage collard as its signature vegetable the collard shack with the, the coxes um it's sort of like the central temple of the religion uh where Everyone who loves the yellow cabbage collard goes, and sometimes they buy, you know, sprouted plants. Sometimes they buy the seed and grow their own. And then mm -hmm. when festival time comes around, you get to uh, taste who makes the best pot liquor in uh, Central. Uh, <laughs> usually you have a barbecuist, uh, vinegar pepper barbecue mm -hmm. that they like up there. So collards go great with that. Do people prepare them in different ways, the pickled collards and the steamed and this and that? It's most usual to, to cook it the old-fashioned way, where you stick it in a pot with some piece of pork, mm. uh, side meat, bacon, belly, or jowl, and uh, 
Cook it long enough so that the uh, flavors swap, as they say, and the stiffness in the collard is broken down, and a lot of the flavor goes mm. into the liquid itself. That uh, liquid is called pot liquor, and the greens, um, you can pour vinegar, hot pepper vinegar on them. You can serve them with gravy. Uh, you can put them with uh, grits. Uh, you can do all sorts of things with, uh, mm. with greens. They're making uh, me hungry. <laughs> yeah. it, uh, recently, a lot of uh, restaurateurs have taken to braising, pan braising them, uh, often in drippings of ham or something like that. Uh, I think uh, the kale boom of the last 10 years got people thinking about, well, if you can do it with kale, you can do it with a collard. Yeah. So let's, let's try some of those kale preparations. One of the things that we have to talk about uh, in terms of why collards became so common in parts of the South is the fact that it was discovered early in the 19th century that collards and kale drew salt out of the soil. So if you had a problem from seawater permeating a field, you know, from a hurricane or something like this, and this was not at all unusual in areas where rice culture was taking place, like down in South Carolina and up into Wilmington, North Carolina. Your field was ruined if it was salted, but if you kept planting it uh, with collards, it would draw the salt out of the field uh, after a number of seasons and make it once again usable. So mm -hmm. that demands a large-scale planting of collards in order to do that. Uh, so collards were cheap and plentiful, and seed was uh, in sufficient volume to make it kind of standard thing in you know the circles of planters. There have always been farmer breeders, people at various agricultural stations across the South uh, looking at collards because uh, they are extraordinarily nutritious. Mm -hmm. They are hardy. They produce substantial amount of food. They have uh, great cultural traction. People who grew up eating collards love to eat collards. One of the things which is kind of funny is that people who haven't grown up eating collards think it's a curious uh, acquired taste, uh, something like okra or Caught the collard curious out there. <laughs> See a pile of greens. What's that? It's not lettuce or kale. Yes. Well, yeah. it's it's interesting that that uh, lettuce has kind of universal adoption, but uh, and cabbage has universal adoption, but collards doesn't. It's basically the same plant, the same genetics as, as right. your your cabbage. Yeah, totally. So. I'm kind of curious if you've uh, experienced uh, saving seeds from collards and kind of what your process is. Uh, it's easy, easily enough done. Uh, they're very small, of course. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, what you do is uh, just like you do with um, any seed selection. You mark out various plants in your field that have the configuration or qualities that you most like. Um, what's interesting about, you know, the yellow cabbage collard was that taste actually was as much criteria for selection as size and 
tenderness and disease resistance. Many people, when selecting plants and doing mass selection, tend to marginalize taste. But flavor of the yellow cabbage collard and its tender texture has made it the subject of celebration. People want to have a festival about this collard <laughs> rather than you know the old Georgia blue, those varieties of old collars that you can cook for two hours and still like gnawing on a old rubber boot. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so flavor is something that you should think about selecting for. Um, what you do is uh, instead of cutting them, you let, let them flower and, and form, their, form their seed. And um, a, a lot of people, uh, you know, let the seed dry out a fair amount on, on collards before doing it. And cleaning the seed is important. It, it, it's a much easier plant to collect seed for than a tomato where you have to you know, uh, take care of the slime and dry it down and engage in your washing yeah. uh, and sieving and things like this. So uh, in terms of saving collard seed, it's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty good. So when we think about collards, I mean, we tend to default to, toward cooking greens, but fermented brassicas are one of the great foods of uh, the Northern Hemisphere. And I think that uh, fermenting collards is just an extension of a time-honored and extraordinarily healthful practice of uh, farmers, gardeners, and, and people in general. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, we've been speaking with Dr. David Shields. Now David will be speaking about the Slow Foods Movement and the Arc of Taste Living Catalog, promoting biodiversity in our local ecosystems throughout the world. Slow Foods, of course, is the um, global movement, and its Arc of Taste is a register of the world's most historically resonant, flavorful, and endangered ingredients and dishes, uh, preserving the biodiversity of um, the world's food resources is greatly important. Uh, and um, historical impulse these days has been uh, for universities with their um, plant breeders uh, to create vegetables which are adapted to monoculture uh, in sterile soils with chemical supplementation packages. Uh, and, and the problem with that path uh, is that, um, you know, the old land races, whether they're grains or vegetables, were um, creatures of living soil with much more well-developed root systems. As a result of that, uh, they were more capable of interacting with the biome and the rhizomes of the soil to upload micronutriments so that they're actually, um, not only do they taste better, they're probably more nutritious mm -hmm. for you. So the effort to preserve the tastiest, the most nutritious of these old plants that were designed for living soil is, uh, is something that we should all uh, be interested in, not just Slow Foods' Arc of Taste, but the Arc of Taste is to be commended for its uh, quite vocal advocacy, the preservation of, of these important 
culinary plans. Well, that'll do it for this episode. I'm your host, Zeke Greenside. We hope you'll join us next time for seed stories and the rest of the Plant a Seed campaign varieties through Slow Food. And remember, folks, it all starts with a seed. <laughs>